Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kansas Perinatal Quality Collaborative Learning Forum. We're so pleased to have everyone here today. Um, our learning forum today includes Melissa Hoffman and Patricia Carrillo, who are going to be speaking to us about the um, Um, about the mental health toolkit for the bedside provider. My name is Anne Mock, and I am from the WSU Community Engagement Institute. I am joined today by Tara Stroda, who is the Quality Improvement Coordinator for the Fourth Trimester Initiative. Please know that a recording of today's discussion is going to be made public on the Kansas Perinatal Quality Collaborative website. All of our discussion will take place using the chat function. You'll find it by hovering your mouse over the bottom edge of your screen. Today, while you're listening to our presentation, questions can be submitted through the chat feature. They'll come directly to me so that I can pose them to our speakers after the presentation is over. I'm going to be putting your handout in the chat here in just a moment. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to Tara Stroda. Hi, everybody. Uh, happy Tuesday. I hear there's a full moon and I'm not sure about those of you at birth facilities right now, but it feels a little like a full moon's happening. So if I seem easily distractible, I promise that's not the goal. Uh, we are thrilled to have everybody with us again in the noon hour and know what it takes to get here. Um, so we're gonna make it well worth your time today with a really wonderful sharing session. Um, and I will introduce our, our speakers here in just a second. Today is really about rolling out the mental health toolkit for the bedside provider. Each of you that has been uh, engaged today should leave this noon hour session with at least one, if not 10 resources in your back pocket. And we don't wanna talk high level, we wanna talk directly to those of you providing care. Um, just a reminder and something that I'm going to include in every one of our Zoom sessions moving forward, um, it is uh, tricky to do, use this forum, but also very helpful. And so we can, we can talk to more people, we can interact with more folks, but there's some etiquette pieces that I feel like I haven't done a good job of, of overseeing. So I just actually ask you to do the following. Please keep your microphone or phone muted while you're not talking, but we want you to engage when it's time. Um, please use your video if you're able to and you're comfortable with sharing that. Uh, we'd like to see your faces as much as possible. And it's nice for us to connect names with faces for sure. Um, Anne will be in charge of turning the chat box on and off. Uh, we will have some interactive pieces during our session today and we really want to hear from you all. Uh, but in the meantime, we would ask that if it, during the presentation, please try not to use the chat box um, unless there's a, a, a major concern or urgent need uh, for something technical. Uh, again, think about someone in front of you in a group setting and, and would you be talking over them? Probably not. So, so again, unless there's an urgent need, please don't use that chat box unless directed to. Um, on your handout is um, are lots of great resources. And this is just a reminder to myself to make sure that you guys have opened that handout, uh, have it saved on your, on your desktop. And this website is an example of where you could find our learning forums, the recordings, um, and lots of other useful information. I always take just a few minutes to make sure that everybody in Kansas is on the same page. Uh, and I want to make sure that we are all hearing and knowledgeable about rapidly changing clinical guidelines. And so tomorrow is an example of something that all of us are, uh, many of us involved in this project are going to listen in on because it address, addresses one of the primary concerns in our state, uh, pregnancy-related deaths associated to cardiac conditions, red flag, big topic, and ACOG is hosting uh, a national webinar tomorrow. Um, I believe that the link, and I just saw it, is on that handout I just spoke about, but that's happening tomorrow uh, uh, midday. At the bottom, you'll see, uh, by the way, I will continue to send out, we will continue to have resources like that available to you all. Um, it's really part of what our goal is, to get as much information out to as many people in Kansas as possible to make adequate change. Uh, it's a horrible segue, uh, but gonorrhea. Uh, <laughs> boy, howdy, I could have done that better. Gonorrhea infections and treatment of gonorrhea um, uh, in our state is on my radar. There are some updated guidelines that are on the website. This is just a, a picture to remind me to tell you all, um, please, those of you that are treating 
um, you need to make sure that you've got the latest update, which was posted in December of 2020. The link to the, to the discussion of evaluation and treatment is on your handout as well. But again, latest update, it has changed. Also on our radar needs to be the conversation of access to care. And in my conversations with family practice physicians, I have been impressed with some of the literature and some of the red flags that they're sending out to our state to remember that family practice physicians um, are really doing a preponderance of work in rural settings. Um, certainly midwives, OBs, um, all levels of care uh, at, that, at that piece, but also certainly bedside nursing, even unit clerks, everybody uh, is aware of the importance of family practice in this conversation. I just have been um, uh, not speaking directly about all the layers and the folks that are engaged and they are doing a great job of saying, hey, don't forget us and we want to be involved. So uh, there's some important articles there that I just snapshotted to remember to tell you all, your family practice partners are important to us too. Bottom left hand is just a, a reminder that as we talk through today, maternal depression screenings and the reimbursement um, for doing this extensive important screening of women in our state is happening. Um, so through some great policy change at the state level, uh, work with can care and other payer classes, we are finding that um, a simple screen and referral is now reimbursable and there's specifics about how that's covered, both in pregnancy and postpartum. This is the story of a policy change being backed up by reimbursement changes and that is how change happens. So again, you'll hear more about that here in a little bit. You may have heard me early on uh, change the phrase from birth center to birth facility. That was intentional. Um, early on in the, in the game, I, I, we had asked, you know, why is, are they called birth centers versus hospitals versus, versus home births versus out of hospital births? Just terminology conversation. And so specific to facilities and hospitals, we are now calling those birth facilities. So if you hear us say those, that phrase is new, that was why, and again, it was intentional, so we can keep everybody involved and make sure we know exactly which layer they're, they're enrolled in. Today, uh, today's topic is, again, an intentional effort to educate and collaborate on key identifiable concerns in our state regarding maternal, mental, or regarding maternal health. Uh, the eight keys that we have used as our um, drivers as our goals to uh, change the problems in our state are listed in front of you. Uh, we're going to target the top five today. We talk about best practices. We talk about referral and follow-up. This is engaging the postpartum care team that we keep talking about and the importance of the layers of that. Standardizing screening. Don't just Google maternal depression screen and pull that off of your hard drive, but what should you be using and why and who should be evaluating and what goes on with that. And then of course, the personalized piece of all of this, what does the woman need? What does the patient say to you she needs? And what is the medical uh, conversation and backup of that plan? So in Kansas, we've got a problem. Um, I would tell you that I'm preaching to the choir. I think if I were to take a, a quick uh, temperature check across the state about what you all think that women need the most, I would guess that if not in the first, um, in the first slot, certainly number one or two would be maternal mental health. I would say in my own practice that this is becoming so important that we embedded a maternal mental health provider in our office. We have rapid access to that person and we have now for several years, but we recognize uh, in the last year, and I, I would say most of it's related to COVID, that maternal mental health has just really needed our attention. And our experts today are gonna to help us do that. So we need an action plan in our state and we have one and we need everybody to have access to the toolkit you're getting ready to hear described, as well as connections to all the professional organizations you see mentioned there and others. So each of you is important in that piece. You hear it today, you pass it on tomorrow. The health indicators, again, that we talk about this addresses, it seems obvious, but I wanna make sure you know this is intentional. Certainly, depression, anxiety is specific mental health um, diagnoses. Substance abuse and use is, is described and will be part of the conversation. We have to be aware that these, some, these, two, these two things are sometimes separate, but also sometimes overlap. The conversation of how do social determinants of health impact maternal mental health, or does mental, mental health impact 
some of those determinants of health and how do we pay attention to those paradigms? And then again, the very basics of how do we figure out what she needs, where she is on the pendulum and what we can do to get her adequate care. Uh, remember, as you hear our, present our presenters talk today that we're talking about the immediate postpartum period all the way through um, the comprehensive well woman exam. Um, and certainly pregnancy is included in that conversation, but we're really just focused in on what does she need immediately post birth and moving forward. Uh, this is only because that's the intention of this conversation today, but be aware that everything they're speaking about also has to do with pregnancy care. And even if she's five to 10 years out from delivery, but specifics about how that will roll um, is our intention right now. This is a snapshot of what they're gonna talk about here in a minute and not to steal their thunder. I just want you to know that there are millions of free resources out there and we wanna make sure we guide you in the specific right direction. These are just, just a snapshot of how easy and how well um, organized the state has these toolkits uh, and ready for you. So, whew, that was 12 minutes of rapid. I wanna give these ladies enough time today. So without further ado, this is Candace Connecting Communities. We have two phenomenal women um, who I've loved to get to know in the last few months. Uh, ladies, I would like for you to introduce yourselves and if you wanna to begin to share your screen, uh, welcome to our learning forum. Thanks so much, Tara. Um, I'll just provide a quick introduction of myself and then uh, do some back-end work to get our PowerPoint pulled up while Melissa introduces herself and kicks us off. Um, but again, thank you so much for having us today. My name is Patricia Carrillo. I'm a project coordinator out of the University of Kansas's Center for Public Partnership and Research, and I'm the program manager for the Kansas Connecting Communities Project. So uh, I'm seeing a lot of familiar names uh, and a few faces on this call. Um, so I think some of you have uh, either accessed some KCC training in the past um, or a little bit uh, more aware of it. Um, so I think today we really just wanted to, to dig into, um, again, why, why this project exists uh, and really get our feet moving um, on some action items related to uh, perinatal behavioral health. Um, so with that, uh, I'll turn it over to Melissa. Hello, everybody. It's great to see some familiar names and I really feel, I, see, I think I said this in a presentation last week, but talking to my people here, so I love it. Um, wish we could all be in the same room together and real thankful that we have this opportunity today. Um, so oh, there we are. <laughs> so I'm Melissa Hoffman and I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner in Lawrence, Kansas. Um, I'm integrated in an OBGYN clinic here, um, providing reproductive mental health across the lifespan. Um, a big interest of mine is perinatal mental health, and I work in that capacity um, for the, well, my entire nursing career. So I'm a former labor and delivery nurse, uh, doula, childbirth educator, as well as a lactation um, educator, and um, the kind of progression of my career just made a lot of sense. And so now that is the, the bulk of what I'm doing. I also serve in a volunteer role for Postpartum Support International of Kansas as the president of our Kansas chapter. And I also facilitate a peer support network in Lawrence called Build Your Village. Um, so just a little outline, I think Patricia introduced herself there. So I'll just kind of jump into what to expect today. Um, we really want to just run through a basic overview of maternal mental health, perinatal um, behavioral health concerns, both at the national level as well as the state level. Um, we really hope, I, like we said earlier, we're kind of preaching to the choir here. So I think we all know why this is so important. We all know that this is top of mind really want to just highlight some of the national and Kansas data to support that um, and then address some of the barriers that exist to us addressing maternal mental health and behavioral health the way that we would all like to. Um, and then, as Tara said, really circle them back to what is available for you. Um, you know, we know, Patricia, you can go on to the next slide. We know that this is not a new topic. However, I think that this has become a little bit more mainstream conversation in the last several years. Um, there's reference to, you know, perinatal mental health issues as far back as the 1800s when we called it things like 
postpartum fever and postpartum paralysis. And now we call it perinatal mood and anxiety disorders is kind of the umbrella term that covers all the things that can happen um, mood-wise in the pregnancy and postpartum. Um, so just a note on the language, it really is preferred that we use that term to include the range of things that can occur, um, not only from the standpoint of clinically why that's important for diagnosis, but then also for the women who are experiencing these things. If we call something just postpartum or postpartum depression, when we're really leaving out um, a subset of people who may be experiencing these things in pregnancy and think, oh, well, I guess it's not that yet, or um, I'm super anxious, but I'm not sitting in bed crying all the time, so I'm not depressed. So we really need to use that inclusive language. Um, so we know that uh, not only is mental health linked to the health of the pregnancy, the well-being of the fetus, the well-being of the mother and the pregnancy and postpartum, but it really extends to the whole family and the community. Um, so we know at a national level, about one in five women will experience a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. Um, and very rarely, they may experience something called postpartum psychosis. Um, so about one in two women will experience postpartum psychosis. So today, I know the focus of our presentation here is that fourth trimester, um, but we really want to stress that this care starts from the beginning, right? This starts in pregnancy, even ideally preconception, if we could even think of it that way, that conversation should be happening um, along the way. We know about 30% of women will enter pregnancy with a mood disorder that already exists, a psychiatric condition. Uh, about 30% will experience that in pregnancy and about 40% will develop that postpartum. So again, just stressing the fact that we're really laying the foundation throughout our conversations and our interactions with women, uh, not just in the postpartum period. Um, other facts to consider is just the, the uh, financial impact that this has, not just on um, a woman, but the whole community and in our nation. Um, the estimated societal cost of untreated perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in the U.S. was $14.2 billion for 2017. So that just gives you an idea. Um, and I would just say, you know, currently, of course, in our current um, social and, and pandemic world that we're living in, that's probably exemplified quite a bit now. Um, it, we can't have a presentation without um, acknowledging that uh, our language for today is really centered around the woman, the female. Um, however, we know that this um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders not only affect the whole family, but can affect a partner as well. And so whether that partner is male or female, we know that they're at greater risk of developing a mood disorder themselves. Um, so again, considering the whole family as you are entering into that fourth trimester care and, and not just the woman. Um, we also want to point out that there are certain populations that experience perinatal mood and anxiety disorders at a higher rate. Um, so women of color actually um, experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorders about twice the rate or almost 60% um, than that. And they are also more less likely, excuse me, to receive treatment for those. So we have a long way to go in both identification and treatment of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders in general. So we're really hoping today that our presentation will highlight some of the ways that you can get going and really have an action plan to get started or to build on what you're already doing. So I'm gonna turn it over to Patricia and she's gonna give us a little background on the Kansas specific information. Thank you so much for that, Mel. Um, you definitely do a wonderful job of highlighting um, your expertise on this on this topic, um, and certainly the importance both um, the the human cost, but also the cost to our health systems um, and our communities at large by not addressing this. Um, so I just wanted to mention a few more statistics. Um, mainly, these are coming from our most recent Kansas PRAMS data. Um, so, so prevalence, you'll see there about 42% or two out of every five mothers indicated they experienced postpartum depression symptoms. Um, I won't read all of these uh, because you'll get a copy of these slides, um, but just noting uh, some statistics related to 
alcohol use, um, substance use statistics are a little bit trickier to tease out for our state specifically, um, but we're, we're definitely seeing instances of, of substance use during that um, preconception uh, and early pregnancy period um, that, that could be uh, mitigated with some early screening and education. Um, as far as identification, uh, women were more likely to be asked about depression at postpartum visits compared to pre prenatal care visits. Um, so uh, I think we're definitely talking to the right audience today when we're talking about moving into the fourth trimester and creating those postpartum care teams. Um, so thinking about who, who is really responsible for conducting those screenings and ensuring that identification uh, and adequate systems of care uh, are in place at the time of discharge and throughout the postpartum care period. Um, and then uh, just some, some treatment gaps of note. Um, so in a sample of uh, a little less than 2,000 new Kansas mothers, 15.2% uh, of those reported that they did not receive treatment or counseling for their postpartum depression. So even if uh, these women are being identified um, more often in the postpartum period, uh, there's still a gap in those folks receiving adequate treatment after that diagnosis uh, or identification of a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder um, is identified. Uh, and then also our, our WIC and Medicaid, um, folks receiving WIC or Medicaid, um, they are also less likely to receive treatment. So when we're talking about health equity, uh, this is certainly something to keep in mind as far as implementing universal screening practices rather than one-off screening practices um, based on a, a perceived need um, at the individual level. Um, I also just wanted to, to mention uh, a couple other statistics of note. Um, so women, uh, white women were screened for depression during prenatal care visits at a statistically significantly lower rates compared to non-Hispanic, Black, Hispanic, and other race or ethnicities. Uh, again, this is coming from our Kansas PRAMS data. Um, so just thinking, uh, thinking creatively about why these demographic uh, differences might, might be occurring. Um, <clears throat> also, our, our PRAMS data shows that screening for depression did not necessarily correlate with rates of receiving treatment. Uh, we just discussed that. Um, and also uh, among those with a perceived need of treatment or counseling, uh, about 24% of mothers with Medicaid did not receive help compared to those with private insurance. Um, so again, just, just being really intentional about putting those policies in place. Uh, so we discussed this uh, earlier, um, but really thinking about the, the holistic cost of not identifying these disorders early on. Um, I'm not sure if this, this group, I'm sure many of you did see the most recent uh, and very comprehensive um, report from our Kansas Maternal Mortality and Morbidity Review Committee, um, but uh, there were several um, perinatal behavioral health associated deaths in that report. So while uh, those conditions, specifically um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and substance use disorders, may not have directly caused the death, um, they uh, certainly may have contributed to those deaths. Um, so in addition to those, uh, those very real um, impacts uh, outside of mortality, there's also a cost uh, at the individual level and uh, associated with, with the child as well. So preterm birth, low birth weight, longer stays in the NICU, uh, and impaired parent-child interactions. So we're not just talking about uh, any individual woman uh, diagnosed with this. We, we have to think about the, the mother-infant dyad, as well as that larger family and community unit. And then a few more uh, just uh, notes from that Kansas MMRC report. 
um, uh, as you can see, uh, identification and intervention for perinatal mood and anxiety disorders and substance use are uh, a big priority for our state right now. So we're really grateful to be a part of this conversation and keep the momentum going. Um, and then this uh, little infographic is coming from uh, Lifeline for Moms, which is a, a, national, um, a national stakeholder in perinatal behavioral health access lines. Uh, so just of note, some of the things contributing to these gaps uh, in clinical identification and treatment. Um, so we're, we may be talking about uh, education, are our providers identifying and treating this, these disorders receiving adequate and evidence-based recommendations uh, and training um, workflows. Um, so certainly uh, capacity at individual clinics uh, and workflows play a big part in whether these screenings are uh, implemented. Um, guidelines similarly, uh, reimbursement, which our state is addressing and we're really excited about that new MDS policy uh, and um, really excited to see the impacts of that as as that continues to get implemented over the coming years. Uh, and then also, <clears throat> we're not just talking about implementing screening, but also ensuring that those robust systems of, of care are in place for those referrals to treatment. Uh, and then very notably is a lack of access to psychiatric treatment when it comes to uh, prescribers supporting and treating these disorders. Um, so we'll hear a little bit more about that uh, in a bit, but I wanted to ask, Anne, do we have a poll available just to take a little temperature check on this group's um, uh, perceived biggest priority of some of these gaps? Sure, you should be able to see the poll now. And if you'd please contribute, um, select all that apply. Which of these are the biggest barrier in your community? Thank you so much, Anne. Sure, it looks like about half of our participants have voted so far. All right, it looks like most of you have had a chance to, uh, to, to contribute your thoughts. So I'll give you about two more seconds and then I'll close it. Here we are. And there you can see, Patricia, if you'd like to comment on where we see the, um, the barriers. Great, thanks so much for that, Anne. Yeah, um, so I, I think those those results probably aren't surprising, uh, and um, not that I'm I'm glad to see that lack of access to psychiatric treatment as a number one barrier. Um, but as we'll uh, um, share a little bit more um, in just a few slides, uh, that is one thing that is being addressed through the KCC program. Um, so we're really excited to get information about that capacity building resources out today. And then, um, let's, oh, there we go. Uh, so with, with this context on um, both the, the individual as well as the financial costs and the clinical barriers to the identification of and treatment for these disorders, uh, I just wanted to share a, a really short vignette, again, taken from um, our partners at Lifeline for Moms about what, um, what this might look like in practice. Um, so you'll see we have an individual here, Kai, who screens positive for depression at 14 weeks. Um, then uh, without a, a perinatal psychiatric access program, um, but really I think you could, could fill in that without, with a lot of different things happening um, or rather not happening uh, and get similar results. Um, so uh, in this situation, their OB is unsure how to respond uh, and lacks um, referral sources in their community. So they tell the individual to call their insurance for therapy um, and that individual is then placed on a wait list. Um, so throughout the next 24 weeks, this individual uh, continues to, to get worse, uh, speaks with their OB uh, who is not comfortable 
prescribing medication uh, such as antidepressants um, during pregnancy. Uh, so they refer their patient to a psychiatrist. Um, I think as many, many of you know, uh, those psychiatric wait lists uh, can be quite substantial. Um, so this is indicating a four month wait list for Kai. Uh, I've heard um, similar estimates for, for our state uh, about three months. Um, maybe a typical wait time for uh, an individual to be seen by a psychiatrist. Um, and then at, at one month postpartum, um, this individual uh, attempts suicide. Uh, that results in them being admitted to a psychiatric hospital and separated from the baby. Um, the separation then puts this individual as well as their child at a higher risk for complications. Um, so, I, so I think you can see a lot of missed opportunities along this, uh, along this perinatal experience, and that's what we're hoping to address uh, in the coming slides, <clears throat> and also with the Kansas Connecting Communities Project. So for those of you who aren't already familiar, uh, Kansas Connecting Communities, or KCC, is a five-year HRSA-funded grant uh, with the aim of supporting the early identification and intervention for perinatal depression, anxiety, and substance use, so perinatal behavioral health broadly. Uh, and this is happening through um, increased support for universal screening, timely assessment, effective referrals, and reducing barriers to accessing treatment. Uh, and um, we like to refer to all of these, these pieces in place as, as an integrated care model. Um, so there might not necessarily, uh, not every community is going to be able to have a, a dedicated individual um, integrated into their clinical practice with expertise in perinatal behavioral health, um, but certainly they can connect to adequate resources um, to support the identification and treatment where there might not be a local person. And we'll share a little bit more about those resources in a second. So as Tara mentioned earlier, uh, we are talking about this toolkit for the bedside bedside provider, excuse me. Uh, and I really wanted to expand our thinking of this toolkit, not just as the um, the, the tangible uh, virtual toolkit that Melissa, that Tara showed and Melissa will share a little bit more about in a second. Um, but really all of these components uh, go into this toolkit. So are our, our billing uh, practices in place? Uh, is there a, a individual clinic level policy as far as universal screening goes? Um, and then our, our perinatal behavioral health access line. Uh, I, I certainly think that is going to be a robust tool for you folks to have in your toolkits when it comes to receiving care coordination support, as well as those psychiatric consultations to build capacity when it comes to um, prescribing medication in the perinatal period. Um, and then some additional options opportunities to consider our uh, on-site technical assistance, consultations, and additional trainings. Um, so those are, are all uh, resources that are available through not just KCC, um, but there are a variety of, of folks um, providing these resources in the state of Kansas, um, and KCC certainly wants to, to be one of uh, the hubs for you to receive information on how to access additional training, technical assistance, and consultation to build capacity. Um, so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Mel to, to really dig down on what this looks like in practice um, with a case example. Thank you, Patricia. That was excellent. And I know as many of you on the line, that slide um, missed opportunities, I think is what it was called. You know, I'm sure all of us can think of real life examples of missed opportunities um, among the women that we treat. Um, and, you know, again, we're just the, the outline I'm going to present to you here, this case is 
you know, how could this go differently if we weren't missing opportunities, if we are utilizing the resources that thankfully are available to us, what is that going to look like? Um, so this does begin in pregnancy, as I said earlier, that's laying the foundation just to exemplify then in the postpartum period in that fourth trimester, how it all comes together from that multidisciplinary approach to caring for the woman and the family. So. Um, I purposely did not give a lot of details in this case study because that's really not what's important. Um, I just want us to all take a moment and think about where we would be encountering these women. Um, so maybe you are at a birth facility or maybe you're part of a hospital system. Maybe you're part of um, an OBGYN office or you're not encountering most women until they get to uh, the interpartum um, facility, but whatever the case may be, you have a role in distributing this information. And so if I can think about, you know, KCC or myself sending out an email to providers that we don't necessarily know, that's not going to be received the same way as you going to the people that you have a personal connection with and saying, hey, I was in this webinar, I heard about this. Are you familiar with this? And really saying, you know, maybe I'm not going to be utilizing that in my day-to-day -day practice, but I know somebody who could. Um, so really listen with those ears as we go through this. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance if I fumble a little bit, but I do want to share my screen at times so that I can show you live on the website where to find these things and really how to utilize it. So without further ado, we'll jump in here. I told Patricia, <laughs> Patricia earlier that I watched Forrest Gump a couple of weeks ago, and maybe that's why I named this person Jenny. I'm not sure, but um, here we go. So we'll, we'll pretend that this is Jenny presenting um, to her confirmation of pregnancy appointment, an early OB appointment, whatever you want to say. Um, all we know from her intake forms is that she's got some situational stress, maybe some financial concerns, and she does endorse a history of alcohol and marijuana use. Um, and so thinking from this point, you know, we're all starting in different places, I recognize. And so I really want to, um, I think I'll share my screen here. Oh, actually, okay, no, there we go. We'll do this, we'll do this. And I apologize to everyone that looks a little blurry, um, but this is what the Maternal Mental Health Integration Toolkit looks like. So if you went back one to the integration toolkits in general, you'll also find the expert to toolkit, excuse me. So that would be um, guidelines for screening, uh, brief intervention, referral to treatment for substance, perinatal substance use disorder. So they're similar in the way they're laid out, but of, of course, uh, more specific information in both. So I encourage you to look at both. And um, I may give an example here in just a minute. So since we know um, that all of this work starts with you know, setting some policy, maybe having some conversations with management or within your facility to uh, really get behind these efforts. We're really fortunate that a lot of this information to get you started is right here. So we've already referred a couple of times to the maternal depression um, screening Medicaid policy. So that is a when we already talked about barriers. There's a first one, you know, reimbursable. Yeah, if we're going to be taking the time to do this, are we going to be reimbursed for that time, for that um, work? Uh, we have guidelines here for just where do we get started? You know, if you're somebody who isn't already screening, doesn't have a policy in place, what conversations need to happen? What are the recommendations? Where do we get started? So you can see here, this kind of first section of that is a great place to start if you haven't even laid the foundation to have a screening policy in place. And as we've already exemplified through the example, screening is just one part of this. Yes, it's great to screen and then what, right? We have to have the brief uh, intervention in place. We have to have education for the providers who are going to be doing the screening, providers who are getting the results of the screening. What do we do with those? How do we have the conversations with the women who are screening um, and then the referral to treatment part. And of course, that's a, another barrier that you all identified in that um, poll, which we're going to get to, even if you're not fortunate enough to have that person integrated in your clinic or your facility, there are options available to you, thankfully. So um, the other thing just to point out on this very first screen would be the Edinburgh and um, uh, 
like how to use the Edinburgh are all right here. So you don't have to go doing Google searches. It's all right here for you. Same thing if you were gonna be looking at this from the uh, perinatal substance use uh, perspective. This person, Jenny, has endorsed previous use of marijuana and alcohol. So depending on what your screening policy is for all of your um, patients, you may wanna consider also screening for specifically for uh, substance use. And in that case, um, actually, Patricia, I'm gonna do something crazy and share my screen here. Or actually, will that stop you? That'll stop you. Maybe I'll wait a second. I apologize. I was gonna show you all in the expert toolkit, you can go straight to the assist, which is the recommendation by KDHE for um, screening for perinatal substance use within the expert toolkit. So, all right, we can move on to the next. Okay, so here we are, Jenny's further along in her pregnancy. And, you know, at this point, one of the questions we get a lot is, when do you screen, right? And so there's not really firm guidance on this. There's a lot of thoughts, but no, but no one way. Um, Postpartum Support International kind of offers the gold standard, if you will, for screening. Um, perfect scenario, a woman would be screened at her first OB appointment, again, in the second trimester of pregnancy, two weeks postpartum, six weeks postpartum, at which time then the pediatric pediatric well visit screenings take over. So by doing that, we're ensuring that we're touching base and continuing that screening process, not only in pregnancy, but through the first year postpartum. Um, you know, so, it, you know, if we're doing that, um, we also want to not forget to do it as needed, right? So just because somebody comes in at 28 weeks and is doing great, doesn't mean that that's going to continue throughout their pregnancy. So not only is the screening important, but the conversation, the continuous conversations surrounding maternal mental health and um, also the social determinants of health, touching base about those things on a regular basis throughout pregnancy and postpartum. Okay, so here we are, um, 28 weeks gestation. She's now screening uh, 13 on her EPDS. She denies thoughts of suicide or self-harm, so at this appointment, we're gonna to wanna to talk about treatment options. So if you wanna to go to the next slide, Patricia. Again, I apologize if this looks a little blurry, but this is the algorithm that comes directly from the toolkit. So this is, again, a great example of something that's kind of already done for you, right? This is based on the research and standards of how to utilize the EPDS, remembering that the EPDS is just a screening tool. It is not diagnostic. And it's also not all encompassing. So just because a woman scores less than 10 on this does not mean everything's all a-okay. So that's, as Tara said earlier, that's where our social determinants of health conversations come in. You know, how are all the other things that could be influencing her mental health? So in this case, I've highlighted on the, on the right-hand side there that she falls into that 10 or more category there. So then this then leads you to what should next steps be? And again, this may look different depending on where you are. And this could be, we're, we're talking uh, during pregnancy now, but this could be postpartum as well. We can really adapt these tools that are there to meet the needs of your environment, wherever you're practicing. But in this case, let's say she um, has the conversation with her provider, both psychotherapy as well as medication management are discussed as part of the treatment options once the provider has done further assessment. So at this time, she does not want to do medication because she's fearful of what that means for the baby. So I thought this would be a great time to talk about resources that are out there on medication use. Is that okay, Patricia, if I take a minute to share my screen? Okay. Okay, everybody. So, oh, that's not what I meant to share. My apologies. Hold on. Stop share. <laughs> See, I knew I wasn't going to get this right the first time. There we go. Okay. So, this is mother to baby, and this is my absolute favorite place to go for medication information on lactation, um, for pregnancy or lactation. So if you uh, go to exposures at the top, it'll take you down to fact sheets. From fact sheets, you can go down and you're going to put in 
really any medication, but obviously, as you can see from my drop-down list there, I use this most often in getting information for women on psychiatric medications. So if you put in sertraline or Zoloft, it's gonna bring this up. And there's a nice little summary sheet that you can print off for your patient. It gives you step-by-step -step how to go through this information. So what is sertraline? What is Zoloft? Um, can I take it if I'm trying to get pregnant? So it, again, conversation starting even before conception, all the way through pregnancy, what's the data that's out there and breastfeeding. So this is a great resource. Um, we'll say for the sake of this, that Jenny has decided to try psychotherapy first. So back then to our toolkit, we can see here. So here's the toolkits in general, and I'm just gonna go to the mental health. And so things that you would wanna consider if you are gonna be making referrals. Number one, who are we referring to, right? So Patricia brought up the scenario of Jenny was told to contact her insurance provider, get a list of therapy providers. Oftentimes, in my experience, it stops there. If that's how we make that you know, next step, that's where it's gonna stop. We have to think about the state of mind that women are in um, at the time we're making the referral. Are they able to care for themselves in that way? Um, what are the barriers stopping them from making that phone conversation? Do they have insurance? Do they have good coverage? So as a provider or as a clinic, we wanna have a basic knowledge of our community and what's out there. So we wanna be able to know what our free or low cost therapy options are. We maybe wanna know who offers uh, sliding scales. We wanna know, have a general idea maybe of who's on different insurance panels, um, but we wanna help that next step happen. So maybe it's making the phone call with you in the office if there's somebody who can support that. Um, maybe it's helping them look on the website for information, what's their next step, rather than just saying good luck um, to you and, and moving on. Then we can move on to this, and these are Word documents, so I'm not going to click on them, but this is a directory template. So as you start doing this work in your clinic, office, facility, you can actually keep a running list of different providers who offer perinatal um, mental health and substance use treatment. What are the specifics? Do they offer uh, weekend or evening hours? There's all sorts of things to consider there. Also consent for communication. It's one thing to make that referral, but we want this to be a collaborative event, right? So we want to get that information back. We wanna be able to provide information to that referral source. Um, I think Tara and I talked previously about this that oftentimes that feels like a big roadblock for a provider is not, you make the referral, but then you don't get the information back. So making sure that we have necessary consent signed um, and, and so forth. So I just wanted to show a, a little bit more of that. And then we can go back to your, I'm gonna stop my screen share, Patricia, and we'll go back to you. Almost. <laughs> There we go. I'll keep talking while Patricia's getting back, us back to that slide. Um, so again, the algorithms there. Oh yeah, you can go back one, Patricia. We'll do that. So this is an example of an additional patient education resource that is on the um, online toolkit. And this is just a good basic outline of things that you could and should go over as far as the mental health well-being plan. And so in addition to the referral to therapy, touching base on these, these thoughts or these concepts, excuse me, um, it talks about when, when to call or what are some other reportable symptoms that we would want to know about, helping her really think through who can I ask for help, writing that name down. So again, it's really helping the woman do that advanced planning that may sound simple in theory, but in the reality of being in that moment can be very difficult. Um, so this is also, I would say, a really wonderful resource for all of you to use in postpartum planning. So for anybody, whether they have an existing mental health condition or not, this is a wonderful tool. Okay, so we're gonna fast forward now to, now we are postpartum. Um, and so at this point, um, we'll say that Jenny's score is going up and again, 
not not super relevant because we're still going to do all these things. So we really want to wrap around her now with all the resources that are out there. So um, at this point, just for, for the sake of highlighting this, I want to pretend that now she is agreeable. This is something I hear a lot. Maybe somebody did not want to do uh, medication in pregnancy. However, things are getting worse. The baby's been born. Now there's this idea, okay, now I'm going to do it. So again, we can refer to mother to baby and some of the other wonderful resources out there, such as Infant Risk Center, um, to give educated information about medication use during lactation, because I forgot to put that, but in this scenario, she is breastfeeding, um, and ways to su continue supporting breastfeeding in addition to taking medication. So maybe re referring um, to the Kansas Breastfeeding Coalition, looking for um, knowledgeable uh, lactation support people who will support her in her journey of not only breastfeeding, but also mental health support. Um, additionally, we can think about peer support at this point. So um, again, whether that's a uh, perinatal mood support group, parent support services, such as parents as teachers or healthy families, thinking about all the different community supports that we can enlist in helping support um, her all over well-being. Um, and then I really want to highlight the KCC line. So in this scenario, let's say that um, her physician finds that, okay, she is interested in medication management. However, she's had several antidepressant or trials before early in her life. They haven't worked. Her provider might feel like, okay, I'm not quite sure where to go next. So a great resource would be the KCC line. So we're gonna pull that slide up a little later, but the KCC line can provide provider to provider support. It can also be um, on, on medication management, excuse me, through the um, help of a psychiatrist or psychiatric nurse practitioner who works there, or it can also provide resource support. So let's back up and say, okay, all that breastfeeding support and um, new parent support, that sounds wonderful, but I'm a little unsure what exists in my community. Where can I find that information? Calling the KCC line, we can help um, identify not only mental health resources, but other support resources that are in the area, depending on where you live. So we're gonna talk about the KCC line here at the end and how to access that. So we'll come back to that. Please put any questions you have in the um, chat box that we can address at the end. And I so wanted here, to oh, go ahead. jump in really quick, Mel, yeah, please. we are, are winding towards our end. So I wanted oh, thank you. <laughs> definitely got to um, any concluding remarks or thoughts you had about that case um, before sharing a little bit more about that action plan and where to connect with those resources. No, please go ahead. Beautiful. Thank you. Um, so, uh, I, I think we, we can all um, recognize that anything um, worth doing, um, which certainly improving our, our state's maternal health outcomes uh, is very much so worth doing, is worth doing well. Um, and it's uh, certainly not, not an easy ask uh, to increase our state's maternal health outcomes. Um, but as you can see, there are a variety of resources to support that. Um, both in the toolkit and outside of that. Um, but I just wanted to reinforce, there are a substantial amount of resources floating around there. And by no means um, should any individual provider feel uh, that they have to um, recreate resources or identify the, those themselves. Um, as Melissa mentioned, the uh, KCC perinatal provider consultation line uh, is, a, is a central access point really for getting started on this journey. Um, so, so both from an implementation standpoint, if there are questions about how to put this into practice or related to that MDS policy, the consultation line is there to support that as well as those clinical consultations um, for getting uh, connected with a psychiatrist to discuss treatment planning or medication, as well as uh, care coordination support. 
Um, so I just really wanted to um, quickly look at this, this action plan. Um, and this is by no means only a three-step process or these are not one and done steps. This is across a continuum, um, but really just thinking about where, where are you along this journey uh, and what goes into each step. Um, so as far as getting started, um, really evaluating your local needs uh, and resources getting that policy and workflow into place and helping to support providers access evidence-based uh, training related to perinatal behavioral health intervention. Um, with a few of those steps in place, uh, you might be ready uh, to really implement a new screening policy or uh, add substance use screening to an existing uh, perinatal mental health screening policy. Um, and some steps you might consider there are, what are your referral relationships look like? Do I need to, to create an MOU with my local community mental health center or another treatment provider? Um, again, those are uh, resources that are available in that mental health integration toolkit. Um, and then uh, refinement. So really reflecting on um, those practices in place uh, and seeing where, where gaps um, might, might exist uh, to keep improving mental health uh, or behavioral health outcomes for this population. So I think we're just about at time, but again, I wanted to, to highlight where you can access these resources. Um, so the KCC website, uh, which is located on the Kansas Maternal and Child Health, um, KCC webpage, excuse me, which is on the Kansas Maternal and Child Health website, uh, can be your one-stop shop for accessing uh, the perinatal provider consultation line, as well as links to those toolkits. Uh, I did want to call out because Melissa mentioned some um, specific prescriber resources today. That's something that we are working on uh, adding to the KCC toolkit right now, um, just because of the, the sensitivity of those materials, we don't want them floating around, um, but that is certainly information that you can access by connecting with KCC. Uh, and then again, that policy and billing guidance is available on the MDS toolkit. Uh, and uh, it would not be a KCC presentation without highlighting uh, Postpartum Support International and all of the amazing resources that are available there um, and with our local Kansas chapter. Um, and then again, that, that perinatal provider consultation line uh, is available for use Monday through Friday, uh, and you can call it um, or fill out a form. And uh, I believe we'll be following up with some links after this presentation. Um, so thank you all so much uh, for bearing with us. This is a lot of information, uh, but we hope that as Tara said, um, it gave you uh, at least a couple new resources today. Uh, and I love Tara's quote here today and pass it on tomorrow. Um, so definitely uh, connect with us and let us know how we can support you along this journey. As we close, uh, again, I would just say I wrote down a page full of notes uh, for myself. I'm gonna guess that many of you did too, because you want more. I wanna know the bedside nurse who finds out at two o'clock in the morning that someone had a substance abuse disorder that they didn't disclose. How do we help her? How do we help the physician who's in between 25 patients and all of a sudden the Edinburgh shows the number 10 is a positive suicidal ideation? What do we do with the six month postpartum mom that shows up in the ER? So that's our goal, right? But look at the resources we have. I would beg you all to get on that website, look at the toolkit, it's exhaustive. And I mean that in a good way. They have done a lot of work and you get it for free. <laughs> Can I just remind you all, this is sitting ready for you. And so I'm just gonna share a couple last minute things about our next couple of meetings, but we're going to continue to build on this concept um, of what we have um, and what we want to share some more. So, uh, this is my favorite face uh, that's in front of me right now. This young lady, doesn't she look excited about life? Um, we want each of you to have all of the content, get real-time help to roll out all the resources that we're talking about. And so the first 
next step is for me to work on enrolling all the birth facilities across our state. And I am coming for you. So I've been, I've been telling you that for several months. I'm going to contact each of you directly. The enrollment process is starting ASAP, and that links us directly so that things like the presentation today, you can come to us and ask for more resources, and we can help your facility get up to date and link directly. Then next step is for us to see you next month, March 30th. We're going to let you have a little time extra off because of spring break. Uh, so March 30th at noon, we're going to meet back in this medium. Uh, look forward to seeing you all. It will be a very interactive um, conversation that day. I'm going to give you all some case studies, and we're going to talk about your facilities, your experiences, and how we would walk through those cases surrounding the idea of a postpartum care team. If it's a mental health question, if it's a birth control or breastfeeding or hypertension, what resources and access do we have regarding that care team that you have developed. Um, if you don't have a care team, that's okay. We still want you and we wanna hear what you need from us at the state level to help create one. They're not all gonna look the same. In fact, my suspect is that there are gonna be 35 to 60 different directive um, options there and you all get to decide what you need. We're just here to provide resources and help. With that, I'm going to say goodbye. You guys, thank you for a great session. To uh, Patricia and Mel, wow, I could you guys, use you guys every day in my clinic. Uh, if you could only just come to all the counties, that'd be special. And again, thank you for joining us today. You guys have a great day. We'll see you next month.